Welcome to All About Almodovar, an introduction to loving the films of Pedro Almodovar. I'm Ingu King, a critic at the Hollywood Reporter, and today I've got with me an angel and a demon whispering in my ears. The demon, of course, is my co-host, Slate's podcast producer Daniel Schrager. Hey, Ingu. The angel is a film critic I've long admired, and I'm so excited to have on the show. Justin Chang is the film critic for the LA Times and NPR's Fresh Air. And I'm going to be honest here and say that one of the reasons I wanted to bring Justin in for our movie today is because it's really complicated and I wanted some help. How are you, Justin? I'm fine. The pressure's on now. But, uh, <laughs> I'm, playing, I'm playing an invisible harp, you know, uh, angel harp. So, yeah. <laughs> Great. And I've got my little pitchfork in hand, so we're ready to go. Great. <laughs> Justin, what's your history with Pedro Almodovar movies? Yeah, I've always considered myself um, very much an admirer of Almodovar, by no means an expert or even like a, a passionate enthusiast. I mean, I love some of his films. You know, there's there's early ones I still, to my embarrassment, have not seen. Uh, but certainly from, you know, I think Woman on the Verge on, I've seen just about everything um, and liked quite quite a bit of it. I, I, I you know, talked to her, um, which I know you uh, guys covered recently. Dream. Yeah, that movie's great. And I remember just seeing that in 2002. And it really was one of those, your soul just kind of lifts out of your body experiences. I mean, there was a moment in that movie I too, I, I think about is when... Um, maybe I'll just allude to it. It's the scene where somebody goes and sees someone alive and dancing happily and healthy or, you know, and it's just, it was one of those moments that, especially when you're, you know, I don't know how you guys, for me, there are just certain moments in your film education, your, your good film education, or as opposed to your bad film education. Um, and you, oh, we got our first fun. Yeah, sort of, you know, I'll, I'll, it's, a, <laughs> it's a half-hearted one. I'll try to do better. But um, but just these moments that sort of cement a movie in your head and your heart. And that one did that for me, where I just felt like, oh my gosh, like Amadovar is just this master at uh, just weaving sound and image and narrative into these moments that, you know, just leave you stuck. I mean, that is still probably my favorite of his. And I think I saw it a few years ago again, and it, it, I think it holds up beautifully after, you know, you guys having talked about it, I'm eager to revisit it again. And so, yeah. And I just think, you know, he is in such an exciting point in his career. I mean, I know we're going to get into bad education and um, it's just really interesting to watch that so soon after pain and glory and you seeing kind of two sort of different poles of his semi-autobiographical uh filmmaking and he and even you know he's sort of come through this period recently where you know i think people have been sort of a little bit blasé in their attitude toward almodovar and you know i i actually really like some of the movies he's made even if they're considered sort of minor works like i really liked julieta more than most you know and you know we can say major or minor i mean i wouldn't disagree with anyone who calls it minor but i as with even minor almodovar there's a lot there to get out of it and there's just in, in extraordinary beauty um even in a quote-unquote minor work so yeah i uh consider myself very much an admirer um but uh of of his and i'm always interested to see what he does 
I'm very excited to see if you consider this a major or a minor work. You know, I have to say, it seemed pretty major when I saw it. And seeing it again, I think it's pretty major still. And I also think that. Yeah, yeah. I would agree. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it seems so much in conversation with some of his past work, which we're going to get into. But, like, it feels very much talking to uh, Law of Desire in particular. And I'm excited to, like, look at all of those comparisons. So 2004's Bad Education stars Gael Garcia Bernal as, well, who doesn't he play in this movie? The result of 10 years of writing and rewriting, Bad Education marks a huge leap in Almodovar's narrative complexity, with a film within a film and even a flashback within a flashback. I actually happened to be taking a class on Spanish cinema in college when this movie came out in theaters. So we went to go see it as a class, and afterward our professor asked us who was the protagonist of this film. And nobody could quite make a case for any single character, which I really think speaks to the the complexity of this movie. I think the answer is film. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Boo. So as we've discussed in previous episodes, Almodovar loves to make his own versions of classic movies and older film genres. Bad Education is Almodovar's first major foray into film noir with a director playing detective and Garcia Bernal in at least one of his three roles playing a femme fatale. It's also Almodovar's first gay male romance since 1987's Law of Desire, which we've talked about. And on a side note, I kind of think it's funny that the two gay male romances he's made both feature film directors. Both feature uh, film directors who are um, skinny little twinks, as opposed to our lovable lovable teddy bear of Pedro Almodovar. (laughs) Bad Education and Law of Desire also share a key scene in common in which a transgender woman confronts the priest who sexually abused her as a child in a church or a sacristy, meaning the confrontation happens in those uh, settings. And that is a scenario that Almodovar had written in short story form titled The Visit as early as 1980, which happens to be the year when most of Bad Education is set. I would argue although Daniel and or Justin may disagree with me that this is also Almodovar's most romantic film. As with Talk to Her, I think you can only get the full impact of this film if you go in as cold as possible. So you got your spoiler warning. Daniel, who does Garcia Bernal play in Bad Education? Oh boy. (laughs) So Bernal finds himself in a number of roles in this film, but at its core, he is Juan, later Angel, an actor and the younger brother of Ignacio, a trans woman whose identity and story he's stolen after murdering her. The film opens in Madrid in 1980, where film director Enrique Godet, played by Fele Martinez, is looking for a new project when he receives a visit from Bernal, who claims to be his childhood lover Ignacio, and presents a story he's written about their past, which accurately depicts their childhood, but shifts into a fictional reunion between the two as adults. This story becomes the film Enrique makes throughout the movie, with Juan attached as the star. And here's Bernal's second character, where he plays Zahara, a trans woman working as a drag performer and sex worker who, after a chance meeting with her former lover, decides to confront Father Manolo, the priest who abused her in Catholic school. We flash back to a truthful recounting of her and Enrique's childhood and the first moments of abuse Ignacio experienced at the hands of Father Manolo. 
Enrique is shaken by the story, but suspecting Juan isn't actually Ignacio, he sets out for answers about what really happened to his childhood love and discover who Juan really is. As the story unfolds, Enrique discovers Juan is Ignacio's younger brother and has stolen his brother's identity. While shooting the final scene of the movie, a mysterious figure appears on set who turns out to be Father Manolo's real-life counterpart, Senor Berenger, played by Luis Omar, of Broken Embraces. He reveals that Ignacio became a drug addict and began blackmailing him a few years ago. By this time, Berenger had quit the priesthood and married, but couldn't help falling for Ignacio's younger brother Juan, who was also getting fed up with Ignacio constantly stealing from his mother and grandmother to feed his habit. So, he and Juan conspired to murder Ignacio with a heroin overdose. The movie about Ignacio's life and starring his sociopathic little brother, which had finished shooting by the time of this revelation, becomes a huge hit. And because Almodovar can't stop writing plot, we get a postscript saying Juan enjoyed a few years of fame, faded into TV, and eventually murdered Senor Berenger. All the while, Enrique Godet continued making films with the same passion. So last week, I sort of previewed this episode by calling it a masterpiece. So masterpiece or not a masterpiece? Pretty close. What a a big question. (laughs) (laughs) Close enough, I think. (laughs) But I mean, it's funny because hearing Daniel just summarize that incredible, like, nested dolls within nested dolls of a plot, what's kind of remarkable is how fluidly it plays out on screen. And yes, you know, you are doing some mental chronological meta hopscotch you know, in your head as you're watching it, but this is, and this is not unique to bad education. I think Almodovar has this incredible fluidity with narrative. Talk to her does that just as well. Like with all of the shifting in time. Yeah. And I love he, and because I have pain and glory kind of in my head, you know, from having seen it fairly recently and it's the most recent film, uh, except for, um, I'm sorry, the excellent short film he just made with Tilda Swinton, which I look forward to hearing you guys talk about. With um, Bad Education, I love the device of seeing a flashback that turns out to be a movie in the sense that I, I may not even be characterizing that correctly, but it kind of reminds me of the, you know, with, maybe I shouldn't spoil Pain and Glory for those who haven't seen it, but there's a very similar thing where- I haven't where, seen it. You haven't, ah, sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry, uh, you, it's okay. It's okay. I think you'll love it, anyways. Um, but you know, with this one, um, there is that device in Bad Education where you know, and I think it's it's particular because it, it really comes is driven home by uh, Daniel Jimenez Cacho, the actor who plays Father Manolo in the flashbacks uh, to nineteen sixty four. I believe it is. Uh, he was fantastic. He's fantastic. And then you realize later, oh, that is actually, he's he's just an actor playing that part in the movie that they're shooting. And it's just this little bit of, you know, sleight of hand where you think you're, you know, looking into a flashback of someone's mind. That's who he is. And no, that's just an actor. And then you meet, of course, um, Senor uh, Berenger, played by Luis Omar, um, who's very different. And so it's just these little games that, and it just these little surprises that just keep popping up. And the way the movie, you know, the movie almost suggests that uh, it, it does, it's, it's, it doesn't matter. It's like it's, that's what cinema's trickery can do, and cinema is, you know, is of course an approximation of real life. And so, um, even if it's not completely accurate, it's the representation, and sometimes it's the best representation we have. I feel like 
this movie is going, it's like one of those movies where all of the film, I was going to say film bros, but then I was like, well, then I'm erasing myself. But like all of the people who are obsessed with film are always going to point to and say like, this is Almodovar's treatise on the film or whatever. But I thought a lot about the fact that like you first meet Ignacio and Father Manolo in one guise, which is basically what Justin was talking about. But then later, you see them played by a couple of different pairs of actors. And I think part of it is sort of the artifice of cinema that we were talking about. But I think also part of it is just the unreliability of memoir. Because a story that sets all of this through, which is called The Visit, which is essentially Ignacio's remembrances of the way that he was torn apart from his first love and then reunites again when they are grown-ups. There are pieces of that where Ignacio does not insert every single part of himself into that memoiristic story. For example, he vastly underplays his own drug addiction. And so one thing I really love about this film is that there's so much of the way that like people want to remember themselves and then the way that they actually are. And I think that is one of the ways he plays with that recasting of the characters. And I think that it it also gets to the importance of film as a storytelling like device because for me when we were watching the final scene of the two priests murdering Zahara spoilers I got sucked in even though we knew from the beginning of that scene we can see all of the artifice of a film being made we see the cameras and the crew on set even after seeing that artifice, as the scene starts, and part of it's because we had seen those characters already playing these roles, but also just because of the power of film, I think, I got sucked in and was shocked and so sad when I saw them kill her, even though she's not dead, she's an actor, and they're these are all, they're all playing parts. And you even see the priest who murders her as soon as they cut. You see him, like, shake his, like, just, like, shake it off. He's just kind of like, Ugh. But isn't that because... Like, Juan remembered the fact that he had actually killed his sister. Well, but I'm not even reacting to Juan crying. I'm, like, I was moved by the murder and the, like, sadness and heartbreak of that. And, like, got sucked in and had forgotten that they were filming. And I think that's kind of what, part of what he's getting at there. Yeah, I I, I think you're both right. It, it, it operates on two different levels, at least. Um I had Daniel's reaction as well, but yeah. And then that moment where Juan Ignacio kind of, sorry, when you were explaining the three different roles, I, I thought Angel. of that terrible <laughs> Angel. I thought about that terrible pun where if you've seen one, you've seen them all. Um, but uh, I apologize. Oh, you, can, you, can, <laughs> you can cut the, you can cut that out. Sorry. Um, <laughs> monosyllabic names are just too, and I say, you know, I say this as an Asian person, they're just too easy to pun on. Um, but really, when he breaks down, and I think Ingu's right, it's obviously the, um, the memory and the guilt that he feels. But yeah, so it's like, it's, it's sort of this thing where cinema is moving for many reasons. It's for some of us, it's, it's being sucked into just the story, even though we see the artifice and Almodovar um, really delights in showing us. It's like showing us the artifice. It's like he's showing, it's, I can't remember if it was Hitchcock or an, a director whom, of course, Almodovar, you know, 
mimics and plays with a lot throughout his whole career, but who said where it's like, it's about showing you the architecture, like the blueprint. It's like, you can see the, where the movie's manipulating you. And that's part of the glory. It's like, that's part of the art of, you know, the artifice um, and the authenticity are, are just totally intertwined. And a motivator does that, but then, you know, so that's very moving to us who are outside the story watch and being sucked in. And it's also very moving, of course, for those who, because it's memoir and because this is their story and because, um, you know, and to your point, Ingu, where it's, you know, what is convenient to remember and what is convenient to forget and what is convenient, you know, the, the representations that we, the very selective representation, I guess you could say. Um, I feel like that's kind of happening in the scene too, because um, even though the murder that happens is not actually how it happened, as we find out, um, and it's much more extreme and much more violent, but the underlying guilt is still very much the same. So I think it's kind of funny that there's something like very, like almost teenage girl about this premise of like, well, what if I actually reunited with like the boy I fell in love with in elementary school? Like, would we still be friends? Like, would we still want to fuck each other? And this is like Ignacio's whole entire story, right? He has this like very tragic end to this very adorable love story. But in the end, it's just sort of like him being like, wait, do you think we would still want to fuck each other if we met? And then you can almost kind of maybe see Almodovar doing the same thing because Almodovar also went to a Catholic boarding school when he was at a young age. And according to him, uh, he was not sexually molested, but he knew a boy at the school that everyone knew, he says, like was the kid who was being molested by either a priest or the priests. Um, So I think, like, it sort of has this, like, (laughs) juvenile core to it that I think he adds a lot of emotional richness to. But I think what I find so romantic about this film is that when I first saw it, I thought, oh, this is such a chilly movie, especially coming after All About My Mother and Talk to Her. And then I found it deeply romantic. And I think the reason was for that is because Ignacio is this entire time sort of like imagining what might happen if he had reunited with Enrique, who is like a boy he probably hasn't seen in something like 15 years and still has this like deep fondness for. And so there's something both like romantic and like a little bit sad to like wonder what led him to this point where he's still pining after like a boy that he got with when he was like, nine or 11. But then the other thing that I find deeply romantic, especially watching it for the second time, is how from the very beginning, even within, even with that 15 year span, Enrique basically figured out immediately, this is not Ignacio, Mm -hmm. like, you have imprinted upon me so deeply, that I can tell from like the get go, like, you are not who you are pretending to be. And I found that really moving yeah well yeah it's clear that like they've both had such long lasting impacts on each other's lives and i think that's a common experience with love and with first loves what's and especially love? with well it's, well i know you ingu i know but um especially with like i would say probably gay love and the uh, like especially with it being so like taboo and the fear that ignacio experiences as a child after he and uh, Enrique had performed sex acts while watching Sarah, uh, Sarah Montiel movie, which to me, ma- like, made me think, well, 
Whereas the American version of this, where two gay kids are jacking off in front of a Barbra Streisand film. But, um, <laughs> That's a very good point. And I think back, because I remember seeing this movie, I really viv- have a very vivid memory of my first time seeing this movie in 2004. This movie coming a year before Brokeback Mountain and, you know, and I mentioned that just, you know, as sort of a landmark in, in oh, gay wow. Hollywood cinema. And it's like, and I you remember look at seeing that, that. Yeah. Yeah. And and I love that movie. And I think, but it, it's a much more, you know, a much more conservative, a much more tragic kind of representation of gay romance. And this one, you just see like, it, it feels like Amadavar is just doing circles around American cinema where this level of representation where it's like, you know, I mean, there's a tragic element to this, but it's not all tragic. It's very funny. And it's, it's not this, um, you know, where the character's not doomed because of their, 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 they're aspirational. They're ambitious. They're doing, you know, it's, it's just amazing the, the levels of representation in this movie. And of course this applies to all his work. And um, I, I just remember that and how this movie felt, if you look at it through the prism, the much more kind of conservative prism of, I think, American movies, this movie felt, I mean, you know, maybe not such a great leap for Almodovar because he's been transgressive and subversive for a long time, but um, it just felt light years ahead. And I just think, too, to build on your point, Ingo, about just how romantic the movie is, one of his most daring um, brushstrokes, I guess, is how sympathetic he makes the character of Father Manolo and uh, or Senior Berenger later. And it's like, and how... This it's it's very taboo thing. This you know he is a sexual predator who was a priest who molested a boy, and it is romanticized years later, um, or maybe even in that moment. You even look at the perspective of those scenes, um, that flashback to the sixties, the Moon River moment. Oh my God! I mean, can you imagine a moment like that playing out in in the work of maybe not even in an American movie, but in the work of almost any other filmmaker. I don't think there are many filmmakers who could pull off that trickiness of perspective and that willingness to, I think I remember reading an interview at the time and Almodovar said some, I think I'm quoting and paraphrase, I'm paraphrasing him, but he said, why can't a pedophile feel love? And it's like, that was like not a controversial thing for him. And one can, you know, we can, we can have a whole other conversation about that, but I just think it's really, it's just really transgressive um, and still feels that way even now. It's also interesting that coming after Talk to Her, that was a movie that sort of gave the affection that a rapist felt. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. one, I have like a quote from Almodovar where he talks about how, where he talks about the sympathy he gives the priest's character. And he says that basically that character is as sympathetic as he is because he is both quote, aware of the desire and of the price they'll have to pay for that desire. I think that's something I find much more interesting about this movie than giving space to, like, the inner workings or the interiority of a pedophile priest is the fact that the transgender character is allowed to be greedy and kind of selfish and figure out some sort of way of, like almost exploiting her own abuse. I think one of like, there's so many heartbreaking moments in this movie, but one of one like really early one is when Ignacio basically doesn't want Enrique to be expelled after they're caught by the priest, not even like doing anything, just like hiding out from him basically in the bathroom and like not sleeping. That's like the great sin in this scene. And Enrique is going to be expelled for this. And 
Ignacio trying to save Enrique almost sort of has to like negotiate his own abuse in order to say like, well, if I give up my body to you, like let Enrique stay. And you sort of get this like more adult version of it where Ignacio just says, you owe me, right? And he even says at the end of that, like as it fades to black, but he says basically this, that was the first time I sold myself um, to save Enrique. And I think it's such an interesting film to look at, especially those two characters in conversation with Law of Desire, because it seems like from in, in that film, we have Carmen Maura playing the transgender female character who was abused as a child and then eventually transitioned. And it seems like in these 20 years that um, between those two films, or roughly, Almodovar has possibly had to confront or deal with or come to terms with the fact that the abuse that was done to these characters as children was actually abuse and was harmful and damaging as opposed to something that like was freeing in a transgressive way. Because I do think that there is certainly looking in some of his earlier work, some kind of like romanticization of that. And I know like when I was a kid, I definitely like was like, where are all the, where are all the predators? I, I, I'm gay. I can't find any, old men who want to have sex with me and then of course like as i got older understood like that is a terrifying thing and like i that is awful and so i think that we see almodovar figure that out between these two films and i also think that what's interesting is that the romanticization that while this is a very romantic movie i think the romanticization of obsession that he deals with in Law of Desire and Atome and uh, so forth, this is where it sours. This and Talk to Her are where that, obs- that romantic obsession becomes horrifying and becomes disturbing. And um, I feel like you even get that from like the opening credits when it feels like I'm watching like a goth Almodovar movie. And I think that is also why this movie, which is totally major and, you know, a masterpiece or near masterpiece doesn't get talked about with the same affection um, as all about my mother talked to her and Volver. And and that's very understandable. It's not a, it's a really chilly movie. I mean, I I like what you're saying about how it's also, you know, uh, kind of, there's this transcendently romantic aspect to it too, but it is, kind of Almodovar at his darkest and um and it is not a movie you warm to and I I'm really glad we're talking about it because I feel like it is actually really ripe for um overripe for discovery perhaps and yeah it it really does feel like um I mean there are elements of him throughout all throughout so many of his movies but this is the one where he's really uh confronting something really painful and yet trying to find I think it's like romanticizing your abuse, um, romanticizing your trauma is a dangerous thing. And yet he's also seems to be saying to me that it's like, but he's going to give that character that anyways, because this is about, you know, it is about reclaiming or trying to restore some kind of agency to that, you know, and, 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 and this is, and that is why the character of Ignacio, um, I'm getting so mixed up just talking about it. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. You know, this entire journey that that is undertaken 
which is a journey of of revenge and it's also a journey of you know self promotion and self realization through art you know and that character is doing something you know not that dissimilar from what enrique is doing and of course enrique is the stand in for almodovar and by the way while i'm on that i think it's really interesting how enrique is the character in this movie that i feel this way anyways i don't know if you you both do but the character that you warm to the least i think that's really interesting i mean that's my feeling and that is to me the stand in for almodovar and so it's, it is him sort of looking at this from kind of a remove in a certain way it's also interesting because the other film director character that he has that I think has a lot in common with him that he even names Pablo. This is the law of desire. It's right. also a really cold character. And so when he writes sort of really close versions of himself, they're never quite all that flattering. They're sort of physically right. flattering, as Daniel has said. But I think that there's this chilliness to them that you really don't expect out of someone who likes to write like with as much warmth as Almodovar. And I think it's interesting that this movie comes two movies after All About My Mother, which is so much about like this reverence for actresses and women who play roles. And then you have this movie that's like extremely contemptuous of actors in a way that's almost sort of like where almost all of the like sense of humor in this movie comes from, right? Daniel and I have been joking a lot um, off Mike, until now, about Pedro speak, which is basically our made up word for like all of the words that we think Almodovar actually thinks that he puts in the film. And one of the funniest lines in this movie <laughs> is when the director says, there's nothing less erotic than an actor looking for work. And you can just like feel like the venomous spittle like that. I love <laughs> that line too. Oh, God. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But like, I think that's I don't know. It's it's very interesting. It's 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 true, and I, I think it's you know, and all about my mother. The you know, which celebrates the sort of wonder of of women and actresses, and also of of women um, playing roles. And this one is all about sort of the dark, mistrustful slipperiness of men um, who are <laughs> actors too. So there's a gender aspect of it as well. Um, while Daniel was recapping, I also wanted to say the um, I just rewatched this this morning. The end title when he said something about like oh yeah i'm how you know how to film career and then he kind of flamed out and um and just did now he just works on tv <laughs> which i <laughs> i just think that it's just so like ouch and but now of course in the era we live in where you know um where, <laughs> where streaming is where it's at and tv is where it's at it's not such the jab that it <laughs> that similar oh. reese witherspoon <laughs> weeps <laughs> right so, Justin, when I invited you to come talk about that education, uh, you said something about how, oh, it's a film about, like, religion and spirituality. Uh, did that ring true for you after watching it? You know, for I think it does, but maybe in a more superficial way, perhaps, because, you know, Almodovar has said he's an atheist. And I think that the movie... I think, I think it's that he's a hedonist, right? Hedonist. <laughs> And an atheist, too often, you know, go hand in hand. Yeah, that's some more Pedro um, speak from the movie. <laughs> but, and so, you know, religion has had, had a very formative experience on him as it tends to for people who grow up in, in a tradition. But, um, but here, and this is where, you know, reading about just the history of it, I mean, this was also, you know, one of Almodovar's movies about 
sort of touching on the Franco dictatorship. Um, and here I go into my, as if I am an expert on Spanish history, which I'm very far from, but I know, you know, this, you know, he shows you that time that when, you know, homosexuality was, um, was criminalized and this is, you know, and having to, but there was also this really rich thriving counterculture um, that he was a part of. And that was really, you know, really important for and liberating for him. And you see that, and he shows you the church, which is very much, you know, the Catholic church, an instrument of the Franco regime. But within that church, here are all the cracks and crevices. And here is this desire that is, um, and that, of course, has even taken on more uh, of a profile in recent decades, as we've seen, of course, just the, the abuse that, that Catholic priests have committed worldwide. But that is, and it's, it's kind of funny, too, to look at, it's not funny, it's interesting to see that this movie was emerging at a time when those stories were first not first coming to light, but when we didn't know nearly as much as we know now. And so I think education is important on that level too, um, just as a, as a sort of um, a, very unusual, a very unusual, you know, it's just a side element of the film, but I think it's important. Well, and I think he has threads of the horrors of the Catholic Church running through a lot of his work. Like even in Talk to Her, there's a tossed off moment um, when they're all in the hospital after Lydia had been put, basically went into a coma and just a tossed off conversation about like the priests raping the nuns in um, Africa or something like that. And it's just like this tossed off conversation that just like goes by and the story moves on. But it's clearly a, something that he felt needed to be said in his film. And so he's always had this very tense relationship with the church, but it is so important to his work because I think culturally in, in Spain, it's a cultural institution too, I would assume. Like it's not, Absolutely. Like it's not even like, it's not the way that like we think of church really even anymore. It is still so deeply a part of their culture as a like just piece, piece of culture, even not even necessarily belief in religion. Whether people are believers or not, absolutely. And I think there is a part of Amodovar that whatever his, you know, his uh, feeling or contempt for the, is it for, for religion, for the church, um, I think there's something that he loves about the ritual of it. I think and depiction of those rituals. There's great, you know, I mean, great sort of Catholic filmmakers, um, you know, atheist or not. It's like they're they're they see just the pageantry um, of that, and I think he absolutely seizes upon that. And and I think too, this is not an original thought, but I but and it's you know, and it's not unique to Almodovar either, but. This idea that cinema is his true religion, you know, um, or one of them, maybe one of his, his true belief systems. And this, I think this is where the scene where young Enrique and young Ignacio are masturbating in the church. I mean, in the, <laughs> in the theater, in the church, I would love to see that too. But in a way, the theater is a church. I think Freudian slipped there, but not really, because the theater is this temple. That is actually the temple watching this ceremonial movie that is a sacred moment for Amodovar. That is sort of his moment of passion, religious or sexual. Is uh, the masturbation both. then the religious ritual? Yeah, it is. I think so. And that is why the movie is a masterpiece. <laughs> I think... Thank oh. God. <laughs> <laughs> so this is like Pedro Amodovar's only pure period movie. It's the only one that takes place entirely in the past. And I initially thought, I don't really understand that because 
this could happen like in the present moment. And then I remember this specific line that Zara has when she's confronting the priest. And she is basically looking at the window and saying something like, this is 1977. Like, you, people are going to believe me. And that line, like when I watched this movie for the second time, knowing everything that was going to come was so tragic because she has this idea that she is on the verge of liberation because the times are changing and also she's going to get money out of this priest. And then if you look at the real life uh, Ignacio, what ends up happening is that she has sort of found this kind of piecemeal liberation, but then her brother does her in. And so she never really gets to fulfill mm -hmm. like all of the potential that she had. And oh, so doesn't. it's just like one extra knife turn in that murder, which is like already so tragic because it's uh, because of its intimacy. Especially in such a beautiful apartment. <laughs> Ugh, I want that couch so bad. I, 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 I've really loved watching all of his films, and I think that this is that apartment is one of his like peak Almodovar apartments for sure. It's just filled to the brim with color, and uh, I, ever, I just keep thinking about it. Uh, nothing has rivaled it in my mind since High Heels, which was a terrible movie. <laughs> visually beautiful. Can we talk about, like, the drag performance? I feel like we would be very remiss in not talking about this. You have Gael Garcia Bernal in a gown designed by Jean-Paul Gaultier. And it is head-to-toe sequence white. And then it has, like, this beaded sequined merkin and also, like, a little dot for the belly button and, like, a couple of dots for the nipples. And she has this rose the entire time that she's just, like, dragging slowly, like, up and down her body. And I was so angry when that uh, scene only lasted for, like, a minute, because usually Almodovar is so generous with his musical performances. And to only get, like, a minute of this, of Gael Garcia Bernal's, like, sexy eye acting, I was so livid. We, we really didn't get a lot of... Like, none of the music scenes lingered in the way that his music scenes tend to linger. It was really kind of disappointing because the Moon River moment was so stunning and lovely until it all of a sudden wasn't. And that uh, Zahara performance is so captivating. You just want it to keep going. And we even get a drag performance a little later from a drag performer that Juan Angel is going to imitate. And that's where we get another great Pedro speak line, which is, you're not an actor. You're just a faggot. <laughs> and it's what's funny to me in that is it's funny but disturbing how coldly Angel approaches studying her and studying how she moves and how she becomes a woman. Because I think, at least to me, drag isn't that. It isn't studying how to do the specific hand movement to like give off a feminine meaning. It is inhabiting femininity and whatever that is for the person who is doing it and however they interpret femininity. And so it's really a funny indictment on the like disturbing lack of soul that actors have that like they just suck up the they suck up the souls of other people to inhabit themselves. Can you tell Daniel loves actors? Well, you know, it's funny, too, because 
what you just said reminds me of All About Eve a little bit. Um, you know, another very important classic, I think, to Amotovar. And this idea, this sort of, yeah, there's kind of a the cannibalistic quality of acting or of studying other actors where it becomes like sort of a, a, an act of body snatching and identity snatching, you know, and this movie sort of almost exists, you know, you could see it on a continuum with all about Eve and, and also with a vertigo because of so many, you know, Hitchcockian doublings and mistaken identities. But yeah, I think what you said, Ingo about, and, and Daniel too, the way the musical sequences are very truncated in this movie with the moon river moment. And that one is truncated for very, clear shocking reason because you realize what's what's happening you realize that this abuse that is happening the, the music just sort of stops dead and then when it stops dead it's sort of like the movie showing you but this is oh it's it's this is what without showing you showing you it's signaling what has really been going on and, and you get that um, great moment with the blood dripping down his forehead and oh, the splitting yeah. of that like of his face face it's beautiful yeah i think this is all you know there are such lush, you know, immersive, intoxicating musical sequences throughout Almodovar. And especially think about, you know, the Pina Bausch sequences and talk to her, for example, where you really can lose yourself in those moments. And here it's almost like you, you're not allowed to in a weird way. I, I don't know. This is also speaks to maybe the, the chilliness of the film, the, the way Almodovar maybe is weaponizing some of the devices that he's used for, for joy in the past and for, or for just for, for beauty. And here there's something really um, just really sad and really, and, and also really cold and dark about them. And it, it's funny I, when I say cold, it's like uh, sometimes I, I'm falling into a trap that I claim to, to despise where this description of cold and warmth, you know, Oh, that movie left me cold. You know, I, I understand I, I've used those terms myself, but they're a little, inadequate i think sometimes when using this because yes there is this chilliness to bad education um but that doesn't mean it's not moving and that doesn't mean cold is a feeling gripping there's feeling there's tremendous feeling and there's 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 also just a a level of just eroticism to this movie um i I mean i think this and law of desire they're both such horny movies they're such they're probably (laughs) his, his horniest you know and i don't think that is the case with all his films but here it's like really you know and and it's like in in a way this is also speaks to the noir, um, the kind of the the kind of overlay of noir. It's it, you know noir is very much about repression, and there's absolutely repression in this movie. But in a way, he's also just bringing that to the surface. So, yes, you know, the, so the, you know, the femme fatale in this in this case is you know is, is a transgender character, and so it's like there's this sort of repurposing where it's like it's sort of liberating all of that buried feeling and and totally reclaiming it in, in a way that uh is actually really um really just amazing to see yeah <laughs> i think he's like he's also highlighting the horror of horniness like especially with men and that like sexual the sexual liberation that his female characters experience in other films um yes. or the abuse that is that happens to them uh in this way we see angel here as this terrifying monster who is weaponizing his own sexuality he's not actually gay um or at least it doesn't appear that way Almodovar has said he's not he's just an actor and so he knows how to play the character and he plays that beautifully with senor Beringer. he plays that great with well he he thinks he's playing it well with Enrique except that 
he's an idiot. And um, <laughs> it's it's funny how the sexual liberation that women can experience by yeah. the power of their sexuality becomes villainous when men do the same. Good. It feels, yeah, good. And it feels very <laughs> subversive because, you know, we sort of live in a culture where the opposite is usually thought to be true, where, men, you know, because of the sexual dominance of men and because female pleasure is something that, you know, a lot of movies are still really scared of and are still really uh, reluctant to to really confront or to dramatize even. And a lot of our kind of does the opposite, right? Um, and sort of, um, which is another just part of his subversion. So one thing that like I have been thinking a lot about while doing this podcast and revisiting a lot of these movies and sort of the filmography of Amadofar as a whole is that after 2000, I would say that like between 2006, uh, when the Volver came out, and 2019, which is when Pain and Glory came out, to me, that represents like a relatively creative fallow period. I agree that like a lot of his more minor works are still very interesting, but until Pain and Glory came out, I don't think he had made a movie as strong as Volvere in that like entire 13 year period. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking a lot about why. And I think one of the reasons is that his movies did get like very cold and fixated on the idea of revenge and got very narratively complex in a way that like is more showy than like engaging. And I think all of these elements basically find their start in bad education. And then with Volver, you go back to like the femininity and like the family and the warmth, but then you get broken embraces you got Julieta. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and so I think they're interesting as sort of Almodovar's explorations of how people become certain people or how they're consumed by revenge. But revenge, I don't know, like, not to like so overly like abuse this metaphor that we've been using, but it's a very cold emotion, right? And so... It's not, to me, as engaging as something like someone looking for a family. It's just like someone who wants to like go do damage to someone else. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And um, in a way, it's almost like he got this sort of incredible thing out of his system with bad education. But then it's sort of... but. Maybe he kept sort of repeating this kind of, you know, Almodovar these formulas. I mean, uh, you know, and he can repeat <laughs> himself very well, but sometimes repeating himself to diminishing returns in this case, perhaps, even if one can, you know, I mean, can find good things in his work, but um, from that period. But, um, but yeah, revenge, um, you know, yes, a dish best served cold and also uh, can be a dead end, perhaps. I mean, I think, you know, morally and also just um, dramatically speaking. The best revenge is continuing to make films with the same passion. <laughs> so now we're going to do our closing segment in which we rank the Almodovar movies that we have discussed so far. Justin, you are uh, free to weigh in. I will go first. I still say All About My Mother, number one, and then talk to her. Where would I put bad education? I'm going to say Woman on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown because that is a solid masterpiece and then put bad education, which is almost a masterpiece there. 
and then Law of Desire, and then Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. Ugh, this is tough. Because, I mean, my top film until until last week was Women on the Verge, but Talk to Her took that down a peg. I think I'm going to have to go with Talk to Her, followed by Women on the Verge, then followed by Bad Education, All About My Mother, Law of Desire, and then way down at the bottom, Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. Please, Justin. Yeah, I'll play. I'll play. Um, I would say talk to her, number one. This might just be recency bias. Get recency being we just spent an hour or two talking about it. But I'm going to put bad education at number two, actually. Nice. Um, yeah. And um, don't take this as all about my mother hate. No such thing exists. Um, I think it's just, it's been a while since I've seen it. And I look forward Sounds to revisiting. Like Justin is not all about that movie. <laughs> uh... I, I am sometimes, but you know, I'm going to say number three, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, just because I, I adore that film. And I just, and I love Gus Baccio, so it's still fresh in my <laughs> mind. And so the Gus Baccio gives it just that little bit of edge. And then number four, All About My Mother. Number five, Law of Desire. Number six, Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. I mean, the top four, like it's, it's they are movable. Yeah, I feel like basically at this point we have a tier system. And the first <laughs> tier is uh, Women on the Verge, All About My Mother, Talk to Her and Bad Education. And then the second tier is Law of Desire. And the third tier is... Um, <laughs> the fifth tier is... <laughs> right, sorry. Down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it belongs down at the bottom with um, The Skin I Live In, which I know that Ingu very much disagrees with. But... <laughs> So on the next episode, we're going to discuss the last of Amadovar's tremendous run of masterpieces in the late 1990s to the early 2000s, as well as the film in which Amadovar's first muse, Carmen Maura, and his current reigning muse, Penelope Cruz, play mother and daughter. Please join us for 2006's Volver. Justin, you will not be Volvering, but thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you guys. Do it anytime. Thanks for having me. It's been a nice Chang of pace. Ah! I bow. To the <laughs> I am. I'm. Am, I am punned out. That is awesome. This is very fun. <laughs> if you'd like to send us our message, our email address is allaboutalmadovar at gmail.com. This is Ingu Kang. This is Daniel Schrader. Justin Chang. Adios. My favorite piece of trivia about this movie is that we didn't talk in our discussion of the drag performance by Sara that uh, Javier Camara, who played Benigno in Talk to Her, also has his own little dance. And apparently Camara basically just improv that little dance and Almodovar liked it so much he had this film score like create like a piece of music to go along with it after the fact. That's wonderful. See? I'm so happy Delightful. about that. That's the kind of trivia one would call camera obscura. Oh no.